Hi, welcome to the Petri Dish Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm Sabria. I'm Lindsay. And today we're going to be talking about GMOs, which are genetically modified organisms. And this is an acronym that you've probably heard in the news recently. It's been in a number of different stories. There was a farmer in Oregon who found some genetically modified wheat in his field and um, it created a huge stir. And um, just recently we were watching a video on how um, Chipotle is now labeling their foods as GMO or not GMO. And um, so you may be wondering, what does this all mean? What does this mean to me? Should I be doing anything differently? And we're here today to give you all the information you need to get started on thinking about the choices that you make um, regarding eating GMOs. So before we go any further, let's start with some basic facts. So as Rachel mentioned, GMOs are genetically modified organisms. And what is meant by this is it's a form of genetic engineering in which you take a selectable gene or trait that you want or a desirable trait, and then you're going to introduce this gene or trait into a different organism. Um, for decades, there have been genetic approaches used um, for very common, common things, such as uh, breeding of dog breeds and such. You take a desirable trait that you want in that particular dog breed, and then you breed the animals and you perpetuate that trait. Um, but GMOs is slightly different because you're taking um, a naturally occurring gene from one organism and putting it into a different organism. So what, is, what does this all mean, really? Yeah, I mean, we feel like one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this topic is because we feel like the media um, and people really just don't understand. You know, they throw around terms like Franken-wheat and um, things, like, things of that nature, um, which makes it sound really scary, really harmful, um, when the science behind it actually is, is quite, the, quite the opposite. Yeah, so the consensus right now, um, and obviously this, there's quite a lot of controversy, but the consensus right now from the major uh, regulatory agencies in the United States, at least, um, is that GMOs are in general safe. There's nothing, uh, based on what Lindsay was just telling you, um, about um, bringing one gene from one organism to another, they might, you know, people think this is unnatural, and, you know, that's up for debate, but inherently... That process doesn't necessarily make something unsafe. Especially nowadays when there's so much known from the genome sequencing projects, um, more, more is known about individual traits, and you can select really what you want desirable to have introduced in these other organisms. And I'm sure what you've heard about mostly, as Rachel's already alluded to, is in plants. So there's a lot of um, introducing different um, genes to modify them so they're less susceptible to um, like drought, um, fungal infections. I, I actually just made that up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's true. Um, there's been efforts to put um, better nutrition into things like rice. Um, so there's there's quite a lot of applications, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But um, so to start, just touch on the history of it. Um, so beginning in. The 19, late 1980s, um, there was a lot of work done at UC Berkeley, actually, in which they focused a lot of their um, microbial research on genetic modifications of organisms. And it was, for historical perspective, the first GMO that was tested outside labs was this ICE minus, in which they were trying to create a genetically modified bacteria 
that could grow on strawberries, and this would prevent them from being susceptible to frost. Hmm. So um, that was the first outside of the lab test case. Um, it didn't go much further from there. But did it? Wait, did it work? Like, did it actually? They um, they were able to. The goal of the project was to prevent the frostbite on the strawberries, but the project was never commercialized. So it was mm, kind of okay. dropped for, I assume, funding reasons. But I, that's not really substantiated. From there, another well-known um, case is the first GMO that was on the market, and that was in 1994, and it was the Flavor Saver Tomatoes. <laughs> so again, um, this was piloted by UC Berkeley as well as a combination with UC Davis, um, and then actually a company came on board. Um, the company at the time was called Calgene, but that was later um, bought up by... Um, Monsanto. Monsanto. So was the purpose of the flavor saver what? To make the tomato last longer? To so make the Exactly. So they actually um, were interested in this one um, enzyme that would actually extend its shelf life. They were hoping to actually alter the tomato and make the skin remain firmer. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess when you norm from what I understand, um, when you normally harvest tomatoes, you pick them off the vine when they're not ripe. Okay. And then you artificially ripen them with ethylene. Okay. Um, and that's so you can transport them and they don't get damaged and then you can get them on or the like shelf. used easily. Exactly. Or, okay. And so the goal of this was to actually create a version that would be able to be ripened on the vine longer and it would be less susceptible to damage. But that didn't end up being the case. Um, it wasn't really, it didn't really actually work out that way because since they were ripe anyway, right. it didn't really have this, this skin hardening or like the lessening of right. the mushy skin or firm <laughs> skin that they hoped. Nobody but it likes did. a mushy tomato. <laughs> <laughs> but it did extend the life, but it didn't have the effect on the skin that they were hoping. So right. they still ran into problems when they were trying to transport it. So, I mean, it seems like GMOs have been around and kind of tinkered with for quite some time. And, I mean, what? So, really, it's only kind of come to light now. Everyone, it's like GMO is now this hot topic buzzword because of, you know, what you were saying earlier about the farmer, right, who found... Yeah, so this guy found um, some Monsanto uh, engineered wheat, which had actually never been approved for use. Um, They had been doing tests on it, uh, not even in his field, somewhere else about nine years ago. And um, he only came across it because he was trying to get rid of some of his plants using this um, pesticide Roundup. And we're going to come back to this quite a bit because... This is a system that Monsanto uses in a lot of its um, a lot of its engineered products as well. They engineer in uh, a gene that makes these plants resistant to their own herbicide called Roundup. So basically, they're both making something that's resistant and making the thing. You know, they they they're covering themselves both sides. Right. Uh, commercially speaking. Well, and if anyone's seen, what's the movie that they're portrayed in? Food Inc., right? Mm-hmm. They talk quite a bit about the practices of of um, of this company. Yeah, so, I mean, the major concern in terms of what happened recently was that this crop was being spread, you know, without anyone's knowledge. It was basically supposed to be controlled, and it's it hasn't completely been um, eradicated when they intended to, you know, they killed the entire field they were working on, but obviously some seeds got out. Um, so, so this is actually a, a concern that a lot of people have about GMOs is that they could get out into the surrounding mm-hmm. environment. And uh, one of the reasons that this 
you know, this could be dangerous if the crop is actually dangerous, which we don't know of any so far that that's the case. But the bigger concern is if they could outcompete the native species. And this does happen um, in, in some cases so far, but it hasn't been used enough that it's been a really big issue because, you know, a lot of the areas where they're doing these, um, where they're using these crops, they use them for fields and fields, you know, these massive, massive farms. So the exchange isn't quite as big of an issue there. But that's one of the safety concerns that people have. And another safety concern that a lot of people have, and a lot of people have been talking about recently, is um, safety in human consumption. Right. So, <clears throat> so, so this is sort of an open question. Um, Which has led to, I think, the uproar... The, the little bit of controversy nowadays with the idea of labeling versus non-labeling. A lot of people want to be able to have the choice of whether they purchase and consume genetically modified foods, um, but there's a little bit of um, controversy in that because there's not a lot of research out there that actually points to them being a safety concern. They, there's, no, there's no direct evidence. Um, in addition, there is some past um, experience, especially with um, the tomato story that we were talking about a little bit earlier, where just by giving people an option, you are auto you are automatically um, coordinating a negative with this op with this um, consumable, for instance. So just by giving the public um, the option to yeah know. that there's you're automatically never you're automatically insinuating a negative connotation, which may or may not be there. There's no evidence to really substantiate. Well, and I also want to touch on that this isn't just um, something that is being discussed here in America. The whole concept of labeling, um, we found that actually South Africa, Argentina, and the United States um, labeling is voluntary, whereas in a lot of other um, areas such as China, Russia, Korea, the Philippines, Taiwan, Thailand, um, and a host of others, the labeling is is mandatory. And I wonder if there's been studies done to show like how how that actually affects certain people's um, way of buying foods. Like, are they well, are there more foods yeah. that are bought that are non-GMO labeled? Yeah. Well, they did um, in the actual tomato survey. They actually went on and made tomato paste out of this product because it just actually was able to decrease the price, whatever. There's a little bit of information on that, but not relevant to the point that I wanted to make was they actually cited the fact that they had labeled it genetically engineered as to why they think that the company stopped. No one was buying it anymore because it just had that negative connotation of, right. Well, and, and like I said, I feel like we can't use this term enough, but, you know, the Franken-wheat, <laughs> you know, people get very, um, they're very hesitant uh, because, you know, they don't, I feel like when people talk about GMOs, they do it in such a way where it's like, I think that people kind of imagine these kind mm -hmm. of mad scientists and lightning bolts, Yes. you yes. know, and it's like, oh God, what was that infographic we were looking at? And it was like, here's a corn and here's a dog. They're gonna, you, you know what I think? Yeah. I can't remember what it's the not, images were, but. And then they combine. <laughs> corn. I dog. It's, it's not taking two halves and making a whole. It's taking one very specific gene. And just to go back a little bit to the example of the, um, the herbicide, in which case it's just one enzyme that's only found in plants. So this enzyme is required in this pathway to create a certain um, aromatic amino acids. And humans don't even have this pathway going on in them. Only plants actually have this, um, this pathway. And what happens is 
they've introduced it into um, the soybeans just to have this resistance because it can interfere with the pathway and have uh, a competitive inhibitory effect. But a lot of people are afraid of, oh, how what happens if this gets into the human genome? But really, in this particular case, there's not really any direct evidence that it would have any effect because for us to actually have, um, for us to make, we don't make our own amino acids, those types of amino acids, we mm -hmm. actually need to ingest them into our diet. So it wouldn't really, there wouldn't be a direct relation between the gene that they are engineering in these soybeans compared to what happens if it would get into humans. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one thing that we haven't touched upon that some people ask is why do we even need GMOs? Why do why do these things even exist? And, um, you know, one of the things that we actually have touched on is that um, a genetically modified organism can be resistant to certain infections. Um, for example, like corn can be resistant to certain insects. Um, I mean, and I, there's a whole list of uh, genetically modified organisms that are resistant to things that I didn't even know about. Like, you can make plums resistant to certain viruses. Um, soybeans resistant to certain herbicides. Um, and so really I think that was, as you are mentioning with the strawberries and the tomatoes, one of the first reasons behind creating GMOs. It wasn't to really kind of create these weird fruits, but it was like, well, how do we take an organism and make it not, I guess, better? Yeah. Right. So the, More some, sustainable? Yeah, or the especially idea is often to increase the... Um, efficiency of the crop, right? So if you make something resistant to, say, a fungal infection, if you have some kind of wild outbreak of this fungus or whatever, whatever it may be, um, then you can lose your entire crop, and this does happen all the time. So these are, these are solutions that people have come up with to real problems in agriculture, and that affects um, all of us, you know, mm -hmm. in, in terms of the food supply. Um, so these are these are well-intentioned technologies at the very least. Well, and I think that one of the biggest um, GMOs that people may have heard of is this golden rice, um, which is rice that has been um, enhanced with a vitamin A, um, and it actually is golden in color if you've ever seen it. And what they do with it is they then send it to these third-world countries um, and give it out and you know, that's sustainable for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just to get back to sort of the safety concerns that people have, you may be saying yourself, okay, great, you know, there are all these benefits, but, you know, people have all these concerns. How do you actually address them? And some, some of the issue that some people have are that there aren't a lot of major studies in humans when it comes to these GMOs, and that's because it's extremely difficult to do this. You know, it's, it's hard enough to test a drug for a disease when you have a very clear outcome to the disease. Um, to be able to test these on a human population is just, it's, it's nearly impossible. Um, that said, most of these products do go through quite a bit of um, an approval process by the, the USDA and the F FDA in the US and other agencies in other countries. Uh, where they have to give these foods to animals, usually rats or mice, and see if anything happens to them. And there really hasn't been convincing proof so far. There's been a study here and there. 
Well, yeah, there was that one paper that was like, oh, look at these rats where we fed them a right. buttload of yeah. <laughs> genetically modified corn and look well, at all these yeah. tumors. I mean, exactly. I mean that science was a little suspect. but So there's, I, sir, there's some legitimate concerns, and that, that particular study um, is... Was was one that came out just a couple of years ago, in um, blank on the name of the article right now, but um, it's long. It was called "Long Term Toxicity of a Roundup Herbicide and a Roundup Tolerant Genetically Modified Maize or Corn," um, and it was in the Journal of Food and Chemical Toxicology in 2012. And the authors concluded that. Um, Either the GMO by itself or the GMO plus Roundup um, or Roundup by itself increased tumors in certain cases. But the scientific community had quite a bit of an outcry at the publishing of this paper. People had issues with the way that people they did the statistics. There were some things that were very confusing in their results. Like, for example, in the female rats, they found that they got more sick on the GMO alone or the Roundup alone than they did with the GMO and Roundup at the same time, which doesn't make any real sense. <laughs> um, so there were there were a lot of inconsistencies. So, you know, a lot of people who are against GMOs point to these studies and say, okay, so GMOs are bad because this one article said they were bad. But just keep in mind for yourself to take these things with a grain of salt and think about what the scientific community at large is concluding on this. Um, well, and it's I think also with that, um, paper. It was not only how the, the scientific community, but also like how the media was portraying it. Because mm-hmm. I feel like even some people that reporting that were reporting on it were just taking this image of a rat with a really large tumor and these kind of you know scandalous headlines that was like, look at what eating GMOs could do to you. Mm-hmm. And they really weren't delving into the the proper science uh, behind it. Mm-hmm. So the. Overall, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things to consider. There's probably still quite a lot of research to be done. But as of now, um, the scientific community and the WHO, the FDA, and the USDA have all um, said to date that um, that GMOs are in principle safe and don't. Re- they have not yet required labeling in the United States. Um, whether or not you think that may need to happen is obviously um, up for debate, Um, but as of right now, there hasn't been any real proof that there are um, actual safety concerns as of right now. And I think the potential for benefit significantly outweighs the um, Mm non-substantiated safety concerns. Um, The future of this, um, there's a lot of promising things in development still. So there's, as uh, Sabrina had mentioned earlier, the golden rice in which you have vitamin enrichment. There's also some talk about um, creating uh, different uh, fruits and vegetables with vaccines. Um, And there was also at a recent conference um, at UC Berkeley, they actually were reporting on a flood-resistant rice. So in 2011, there was actually a version of rice called I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Swarin Sub-1, in which it was engineered to be able to withstand um, flooding conditions. So in certain parts of India, there are... Um, Do you mean reg- like, like make the plant stronger? Mm-hmm. So what they, were doing, what they were doing was, in certain areas, especially where there was um, 
part poor people that weren't were needed that were in need of more substantial crops. Um, there would be significant floods in the fall, I believe. I remember reading in which the land would be covered by like a foot of water, so mm -hmm. all of the plants would be underwater for weeks, right? And if so if normal rice crops are underwater for weeks on end, um, they'll die, and then you won't be able to get your harvest. Right. So they did some genetic engineering, and I didn't um, come up with the exact science of how they engineered the genes, but um, what they were able to do, and they had really promising uh, results in which they found that they were able to increase um, in, in flood-prone areas, they were able to have a 45% advantage of, ten, of after 10 days of submerged in water, and then there was a 15 or so percent um, increase in uh, in the genetically modified. They were actually the grains were actually 15% larger compared to um, the normal control rice. But again, I think this is a lot of preliminary data. But I think going forward, there is a lot of promise. Sure. So not only for enriching vitamins, right. but also in terms of drought or flood. <clears throat> well, and, and the other thing that comes up a lot when people do talk about GMOs is how do you regulate GMOs? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I read a paper um, written by one of the scientists who co-created the golden rice. His name is Igor, Igor Petrakis. I might have pronounced that wrong. No, I'm sorry. Ingo Petrakis. And, you know, his stance is that he feels that regulating GMOs is actually really stifling the production of GMOs because he, you know, kind of chronicles that it took 10 years for golden rice to kind of come to fruition, go onto the market, and in those 10 years they could have been saving hundreds if not thousands of lives. And one of the points that he does make is that, you know, in the beginning, regulating GMOs of course needed to happen because no one really knew what they were doing. But if you think about it, Really, as we said earlier, it's really just taking one gene and putting it into another, and we we know how to do that. We've been doing that, and so he says that you know maybe now it doesn't need to be regulated so much, and because there are labs out there um, who don't have the funding to kind of do these really great things, they have to go to these private companies and you know kind of jump through all these hoops, mm -hmm. and that really he feels stifles. Um, the, the greatness that, that could be GMO, so... I mean, I think in general, I think we can all agree that we are big supporters of advancing science and investing in the research that's required to make society better and creating optimized tools or food or whatever, but I think um, there's always two sides to the coin. So, yes, sure, people are putting in um, genes that could improve growth or um, improve the vitamin mm -hmm. enrichment. But I think you can also look at that in the other way. Is there a possible negative? Is there a gene that someone could, who might not have the best interest in heart, want to then engineer into something and then... Corn dog. <laughs> a corn dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, you know, I, I think a lot of our um, evidence here has been pro-safety of GMOs, but I think, you know, a lot of these questions remain open, and um, if if more funding is put towards research, you know, in the, in the public sector of these organisms, we're going to have a lot more transparency that way, um, just by the nature of, of how it works mm -hmm. in terms of publishing. Um, so that's always a good idea. And in the meantime, if you are 
concerned, you know, if, if at the end of the day you don't feel comfortable with GMOs, even though labeling is not required in the U.S., some companies are doing it voluntarily, and also you always have the option to buy organic, um, and then you will not be consuming GMOs. Well, and I think you touched on a word that um, is, is very helpful in this kind of discussion, and it's just transparency. I think people just want to know what they're eating. Mm -hmm. I think they just want to know where their food comes from. I think in the past, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years, people have, there's been this really big push for local foods, organic foods, like know what's in your foods. If you can't say, you know, like if your five-year-old can't say what's on the box that you're eating, then maybe you shouldn't be eating it and eating less processed foods. Um, so I think that this is a really good discussion to be having. Um, it's just always a little frustrating, I feel like, as scientists when we hear how GMOs are kind of portrayed Well, and I think it's also public. important to keep in mind that they're already out there. Yes, that is true. There, it's not. We've just highlighted a few examples over the course of this um, podcast, but I think that they're currently in a lot of food, and you're consuming them. And with anything, it's in moderation. And mm -hmm. so, there's obviously a lot of information out there on GMOs, and um, we've touched on a few of them today. There's quite a lot of information out there that we didn't even have time to get to. Um, but we hope that we've given you enough information to sort of start to think about what GMOs mean to you and sort of come to your own conclusion about uh, the science behind it. And, you know, when you watch the news and listen to what people say about GMOs, you might, you know, question a little bit of what they're saying and, you know, figure out where you can, where you agree and disagree. Uh, so we hope you, we've given you a few things to think about. Uh, we'll put a little more information up on our blog which is thepetridishpodcast.tumblr.com. And we invite you to send questions or comments to our email address, uh, which is thepetridishpodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you.